and that is in the piece that I referred to that you wrote for a publication called Resurgent. You wrote, Muslim, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned, end of quote. Do you believe, do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Absolutely not, Senator. I'm a Christian, and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. Uh, that post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation. And Again, I apologize. I do Forgive me. I, we just don't have a lot of time. Do you believe that people in the Muslim religion stand condemned? Is that your view? Again, Senator, I'm a Christian, and I wrote that piece. Well, what does that say? The statement of faith. We I understand that. I don't know how many Muslims there are in America. I really don't know. Probably a couple of million. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too. Senator, I'm a Christian. I, I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just, I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that, that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals. And do you think your statement that you put into that publication, they do not know God because they rejected Jesus Christ the Son and they stand condemned, do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly with regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ in salvation. I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee um, is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. I will vote no. That interaction took place in a Senate hearing for Trump, Trump's nominee to be Deputy Director of the Office of Management and Budget. His name's Russell Vaught. That's right, Bernie Sanders, the paragon of the millennial leftist movement, the gadfly to the corporate elites. He who has been called to rid the United States of income inequality and make all of us the same, applied a religious test to a Christian, Trump nominated to the Office of Management and Budget. Bernie referenced an article Vaught had written defending Wheaton College, his alma mater, against Laricia Hawkins, a professor at Wheaton, or who once was a professor at Wheaton, who posted a Facebook post discussing the need to show solidarity with Muslims because, according to uh, someone she respects, Miroslav Volf, according to a Miroslav Volf article she referenced in her post, Christians and Muslims worship the same God. So she wore a hijab, she echoed the sentiments of the article, and stated that she wanted to show solidarity with Muslims. She states, quote, since I recently embarked on hashtag embodied solidarity with women who wear the hijab, hashtag wish, I've received pushback almost exclusively from other Christians. The pushback has primarily centered on the claim that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. 
In the spirit of the unity of what Christians term the body of Christ, I would like to respond, but will not reply to comments on an internecine dispute that arose rather recently in the history of the church. End quote. Vaught, Trump's nominee, had two years prior written an article defending Wheaton's decision to fire Laricia Hawkins, and instead of advocating a pluralistic view of Allah and Yahweh, upheld the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation. In the article, Vaught makes the claim that, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned, end quote. In other words, Vaught suggested that those who do not know Jesus Christ do not know God. This is an extraordinary claim. Only those who know Jesus will escape condemnation. And yet, this is basic orthodoxy for Catholics and Protestants. So today I'm actually going to take a break from politics and talk about the burgeoning belief that Allah and Yahweh are the same God. But first I want to deal with Bernie. So, what does Bernie do in this clip? He applies a religious test for Vought's employment. In the same interrogation, Bernie references Vought's public upholding of his belief in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He disagrees with his theology, says it is un-American, and says that because he believes in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ to salvation, Vought is not qualified for the job of Deputy Director of the Office of Management and Budget. Simply put, you're not allowed to apply a religious test. Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution states that, quote, No religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. End quote. So, it seems pretty clear Bernie went against that rule, doesn't it? So Bernie states, quote, In my view, the statement made by Mr. Vaught is indefensible. It is hateful. It is Islamophobic. And it is an insult to over a billion Muslims throughout the world, end quote. Sanders told the committee during his introductory remarks, quote, This country, since its inception, has struggled, sometimes with great pain, to overcome discrimination of all forms. We must not go backwards, end quote. So for Bernie, the Christian belief that those who do not believe in Jesus will be condemned is, quote, indefensible, hateful, and Islamophobic. For these reasons, he will not vote for Vought to be elected to the position. Astounding! First, I want to state the obvious. In this interaction, Bernie Sanders is demonstrating bigotry. Google defines bigotry, and as do all of the other dictionaries, define bigotry as intolerance towards those who hold different opinions from oneself. Please do tell me if what Bernie did does not line up with this succinct definition. But it seems pretty clear. Bernie was being a bigot. But the reality is that Bernie probably does not think that of himself, nor do the majority of left-of-center Americans who desire to pursue income equality and other socialistic principles by any means necessary. And yet, the belief that a Christian is a bigot because of their acquiescence to Christian orthodoxy and subsequent discrimination as a result is, by definition, bigotry. Bernie and many of his supporters have learned to be content with an internal contradiction. They believe themselves to be right because they don't do what Christians do. But they are really doing the same thing that they accuse the Christians of doing. While the Christians they accuse, at least most of them, aren't doing what the leftists accuse them of doing. That is, they're not being discriminatory in their beliefs about condemnation and the like. Vought himself, in this interrogation, or 
Senate hearing, at least. Vought himself upholds the dignity of every human in his response to Bernie. He claims that all humans are made in the image of God. Most Christians believe this. All humans, Muslims, transgender, homosexual, all of these individuals are made in the image of God. The Christian religion is at base non-discriminatory, non-partial, because the Bible and Christian tradition makes clear that such discrimination or partiality would be wrong. Even more than that, it would be sinful. Many Christians, however, might disagree with Fott's assertion that Jesus is central to salvation. And that's fine. That's completely fine, at least within the realm of uh, U.S. politic. Uh, we have the freedom to disagree. What we don't have the right to do is discriminate based on religion when it comes to hiring people to a public or even a private office. So there's a difference between having a religious belief and not treating someone with respect because they are not of the same religion as you are. Heck, there, there is a difference between respecting someone and treating them with respect. But the point is simple. Believing that God condemns those who do not believe in him is not the same thing as being discriminatory. Bernie clearly did not and does not understand that. Bernie also leaves out some context to the argument here. He leaves out the fact that Vought's statement in his article was part of a rebuttal of Hawkins's, Laricia Hawkins's assertion that Allah and Yahweh are the same God. This was an argument between Christians. It was not meant to be construed otherwise, which Bernie does. But Bernie, true to form, rejects Christianity and the nominee who believes in its doctrines. Context doesn't matter. Your religious, to, your religious belief to Bernie means you are not eligible to participate in government the way he wants it to be. Bernie believes himself to be unbiased and free from religion, but he is simply accommodating to the secular belief in the idea that progressive thought ought to dictate the morals of society. Anything that goes against that belief is wrong to Bernie. Only he can condemn because what he believes is right. Christian belief is therefore necessarily wrong. Of course, he thinks to himself, he isn't condemning anyone. Because he doesn't believe that he is an adherent to a religion, he believes he can carte blanche reject anyone who doesn't accommodate to it because his beliefs are objectively correct. He fundamentally misunderstands the contradiction. But the reality is he's accusing Vought of discrimination because Vought believes that those who don't believe in Jesus will be condemned. So Bernie condemns Vought instead. <laughs> Sorry to be cheesy here, but uh, because Bernie doesn't want Muslims to feel the burn, he condemns Vought. He's guilty of the same thing he accuses Vought of being guilty of. The difference is that Vought isn't guilty of anything except believing that what the Bible tells him. Bernie, however, is guilty. And amazingly, the media probably won't cover this very much. But I want to move away from Bernie's bigotry to a much more important topic, at least for me. Um, Laricia Hawkins, the woman Vought writes against, uh, references Miroslav Volf, who makes the claim that Allah and Yahweh are the same God. So I'd like to, to now reject that. Not only am I rejecting Bernie's religious test and how bad that is, but I want to reject the belief that Allah and Yahweh are the same God because it's important specifically to those um, who are trying to come to some sort of religious um, dialogue with Muslims. Um, it, it, you can't believe something that is wrong, though, in, in order to pursue reconciliation. So it's important to understand that Allah and Yahweh are not the same God. Why does it matter to Wolf and Hawkins by extension that um, Allah and Yahweh aren't the same God? Well, 
But belief in the same God matters as a starting point to pursue reconciliation, uh, to them at least, between Islam and Christianity. Uh, because belief in the same God provides commonality on which to build a relational framework. It's the starting point to pursue reconciliation. If we have the same God, well, why not talk about it? <laughs> Who a religious community believes to be God represents their value system, which is core to their way of life. If God and Allah are different deities, the likelihood of true interreligious dialogue is more improbable than it would be. Wolf takes the position that God and Allah are one and the same God. I disagree, but it's important to note that Wolf is operating from a normative religious perspective. Uh, so this means that he is speaking broadly and absolutely, using propositions, true statements made in the Quran and the Bible, as well as by adherents of both faiths, faiths to support um, his argument that they're the same God. So in this sense, Wolf is absolutely correct that Muslims and Christians theoretically believe in the same God. That is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, the God uh, Allah and the Christian God both originated uh, in the covenant with Abraham to an extent. Uh, they believe that Adam existed, Eve, etc. Um, they're in the same genealogy, so to speak. Um, so that's what I'm talking about when I talk about a, a normative religious perspective. He's taking these facts, these truth statements uh, that are uh, talked about in the Bible and talked about in the Quran. And applying that to say, well, yeah, they believe in the same God, objectively speaking. So the two gods are theoretically the same, both from the origination of true statements about God in the Torah and the Gospels and the Quran, and what Muslims say about him. But I must emphasize that these are simply statements, um, true statements put forth in the Quran and the Bible that say nothing of intimate knowledge of the God in whom Muslims and Christians believe. That type of knowledge, intimate knowledge, is both relative and absolute, and it's founded on faith. It's a matter of divine self-disclosure. There are two aspects of this divine self-disclosure um, I need to, to mention in relationship to the belief that Allah and Yahweh are the same God. First, uh, a Christian believes in a triune God that is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, and that work affecting subjective belief in God. The necessity of divine self-disclosure in the person of Christ requires that a corresponding Islamic belief in Allah must be founded on that same self-disclosure, i.e. in Christ. But as we know, it's not. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe that Jesus was God. Christians do. Further, Muslims believe in the God who spoke through the prophet Gabriel to Muhammad. They believe that the Quran is Allah's ultimate disclosure. The Christian belief in God's ultimate revelation in the person of Jesus Christ, therefore repudiates the Quran, and vice versa. The belief that, uh, that Muhammad, uh, by the angel Gabriel in the Quran, that that's the, the final revelation, contradicts the belief statements put forth in the Bible generally, but in Christian doctrine more broadly. So, both of these things further distances the, the, um, distances the Allah of Muslim belief from the God of Christian belief. So I got into the jargon there, but I wanted to make clear that I think the claim of Allah and the Christian God being the same is fundamentally wrong. It ignores the primacy and relativity of God's self-disclosure in Jesus Christ. And that's what Vought was writing about. If Vought can't get a job in government because he believes that, neither can I and neither can any other Bible-believing Orthodox Christian, nor can a Muslim, most likely, or an Orthodox Jew. So I want to move on to segment two. Uh, and yes, you might have guessed that I was going to talk about 
James Comey this week because it was the biggest news of the week. I don't have time to talk about a lot of the other things because this is a, a big deal. He testified, he testified before Congress this week, and it was great TV, if nothing else. So I want to summarize my thoughts on this testimony briefly and then focus on one specific section, and I'll play the clip uh, uh, after I summarize, because I think it's very, very telling um, when it comes to Comey's motivations. So I have nine points on the matter to start with. First, not much really changed from the Comey memo when it comes to Trump's indiscretions. Comey gave weight to the information by highlighting his perception of the gravity of Trump's request. One example, of course, being that they let go, quote-unquote, that they let go of the Flynn investigation. Not that there was necessarily an investigation going on at that point, but there, um, there were all the signs that there would be. Um, but though Comey demonstrated or kind of highlighted the gravity of Trump's request, all that did was demonstrate Trump's ineptitude. It didn't demonstrate his cunning, his, his manipulativeness, his ability to um, really scheme at things. Number two, if you believe Comey's telling, which I do, Trump has lied multiple times when confronting what Comey leaked out in the memos. Number three, Comey leaked his memo in a piecemeal way to force the special investigation. That demonstrates poor judgment, I think, on Comey's part. Uh, there have got to be better ways to do that than to create large-scale confusion through the New York Times or any other media source. Number four, Comey confirmed that at least one of the major New York Times articles was completely false. That's a and one of those articles being on uh, the Russia story. I think that uh, that Trump's contacts were uh, in communication with the Russians. That's a big hit to media credibility, and it doesn't help considering we're in a time of Everyone talking about fake news on the left and right. Number five, Comey's statements hint that Loretta Lynch might be guilty of obstruction of justice and her request to have Comey speak of the Clinton email investigation as a matter and not an investigation. This parroted the Clinton campaign talking points, which hints at a DOJ collusion with the Clinton campaign and DOJ attempts to interfere with FBI investigations resultant from that conclusion. collusion. It's a big deal. Number six, the investigations into Russia collusion, or Flynn, never appear to have been halted or hindered in any way. Firing Comey, according to Comey, wouldn't have instructed investigations then. Number seven, I think Trump's incompetence, not cunning, is to blame for any perception that there was obstruction of justice. But the reality is that justice does not appear to have been obstructed at this point, and any evidence of potential attempts to do so is clouded by the ambiguity of these attempts, or any such attempt. Comey may have felt it was a, quote, who will rid me of this pesky priest moment, but I don't see that holding up, that holding up given Comey could have suggested to the president that type of thing was insanely inappropriate, according to norms, and not legality, of course. Uh, and a quick side note, when I say, quote, who will rid me of this pesky priest, end quote, it's cliched at this point, uh, but it's in reference to King Henry II, I believe. King Henry, King Henry II's desire to get rid of Thomas Beckett. And Thomas Beckett was eventually killed by someone, um, got his head cut off and stuff like that, um, because he was in disagreement with Henry II, who wanted to gain more power, and he couldn't do so by the church because of Beckett. So that's seven. Number eight. Trump appears to have wanted the fact that he personally was not under investigation out in the open so that the cloud of ambiguity could be removed in part when it comes to the Russia collusion story. 
I don't see any evidence that refutes this conclusion. And number nine, Mueller's investigation. We'll get to the bottom of it. The special counsel, their investigation, his investigation, we'll get to the bottom of it. It would be helpful to not assume anything nefarious then when evidence has not yet been presented to confirm that, i.e., we need to be patient. Things will come out, and they might not leak, but they'll come out eventually, and we'll figure it out. But we can't assume things without substantive uh, proof that something nefarious has occurred. Otherwise, we'll just go crazy, like the Democrats seem to be doing, and, you know, even some of the never-Trumpers. Finally, the indiscretion, uh, Trump's indiscretion that I talk about, is likely not criminal. There isn't a clear case that Trump obstructed justice, but even if there was, it would be surprising if the DOJ brought such a case against Trump. If any straw breaks the camel's back, it'll probably be a political straw. Impeachment is the way to go. But let's be honest, any talk of impeachment absent clear evidence of criminal wrongdoing is simply wishful thinking on the part of those who despise Trump. Impeachment requires a two-thirds majority in the House. Any congressman who bring forward impeachment proceedings without strong evidence of wrongdoing, and I mean evidence, not implication, is literally wasting taxpayer money and trying to look hardcore to rile up a leftist base who is gnashing at the teeth. But that's politics. Let's deal with Comey. Here's a clip of Comey testifying to Trump's dishonesty. And listen very closely when I play it. And although the law required no reason at all to fire an FBI director, the administration then chose to defame me and more importantly the FBI by saying that the organization was in disarray, that it was poorly led, that the workforce had lost confidence in its leader. Those were lies, plain and simple. And I am so sorry that the FBI workforce had to hear them, and I'm so sorry that the American people were told them. I worked every day at the FBI to help make that great organization better. And I say help because I did nothing alone at the FBI. There are no indispensable people at the FBI. The organization's great strength is that its values and abilities run deep and wide. The FBI will be fine without me. The FBI's mission will be relentlessly pursued by its people, and that mission is to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution of the United States. Did you listen? Notice anything interesting? Yes, Comey called Trump a liar, but that's not the interesting part. Do you notice what Comey says he lied about? What, what Trump lied about? According to Comey, Trump lied about the fact that the FBI, quote, was in disarray, that it was poorly led, and that the workforce had lost confidence in its leader, end quote. Perhaps Trump lied, but there is nothing quantitative to support what Comey said Trump lied about. Was it in disarray? Who really knows? But it could be said by some that it was. There were leaks left and right even before Trump got into office. Was it poorly led? I think that's subjective as well. There were plenty of people on the left and right who thought Comey wasn't doing a good job. Whether, whether it was clearing Hillary of criminal action in the email scandal, announcing she was still under investigation right before the election, which could have had a pretty significant impact on at least... 80,000 votes, which was the difference in the states where Trump won the electoral votes that he needed to win the election. Um, so was it announcing that investigation was still going on right before the election? Or 
was it something else? At least some people had a bone to pick with Comey on both sides. Final question, had, had the workforce lost confidence in its leader? Well, there are 40 to 50,000 people uh, that work in the FBI. Who really knows how confident they are in Comey? I'd assume that, just as in many organizations, some people lacked confidence in a divisive and controversial leader such as Comey, and some people might have been plenty confident. But you can't really know that, and you definitely can't say that these things were flat-out lies because they're relatively subjective. Comey's claim was not substantive, plain and simple. You can't prove that Trump lied about those things. Perhaps he lied about other things. I, I, I'm 100% sure he did. But these things can't be proven, the ones that Comey references. And frankly, they don't matter that much either. But what does this show of Comey's motive in saying it? First, he was bothered about how Trump treated him and the intelligence community as a whole. Second, Comey wanted to call Trump a liar and a defamer. The first point carries more weight when it comes to mar uh, managerial influence over subordinates, but the second looks better in an anti -Trump, um, to an anti-Trump media. Trump's a liar. Trump's a defamer. Could Comey's attitude have translated into leaks damaging to Trump? Who knows, but it does not seem to be out of the question given the fact that Comey shopped his memo to the New York Times in order to prompt the special investigation. Could Comey have wanted to damage Trump by focusing on headlines that show him to be a liar? That is the only logical conclusion. There's no other reason to call Trump a liar in that context, and not in relation to more substantive proof that Trump is a liar. Why is this important? It is very nuanced, but it hints that Comey is not an unbiased witness here. He may be telling the truth, but he is definitely trying to skew the interpretation of the truth. It is important to observe this, if at all possible, when watching these hearings and when observing coverage of current events in general. What is said, what is not said, how something is said, how something is interpreted. All of this bears on the truth of the situation. Comey started with calling Trump a defamer and a liar for a reason. Not only would it be the first big headline coming out of the hearing, it would caption and frame all of the subsequent testimony. I can't be assured of Comey's intentions, but someone of, this, of his stature understands the importance of words, and his words really seem to be intended to paint Trump a liar and therefore diminish his credibility. Trump's credibility wasn't really there in the first place, but Comey still needs to make sure that the picture he is painting of the situation is not very easily marred by Trump's own testimony. Any good prosecutor knows to discredit the defendant. That, to me, appears to be what Comey was doing. Do I think he was being honest? Yes. But that doesn't mean he can't make us believe something that might not quite be true. In that same vein, he highlighted the gravity of Russia's, Russia's interference with the election, and some Democrats enlisted his help to make it seem as if Trump didn't care about something so grave, the implication being that Trump didn't care because he colluded with them. But all of Comey's testimony essentially vindicated Trump from the accusations that he colluded with Russia. That is clearly not the case. He clearly didn't collude with Russia, at least from the evidence that we have presented for, before us. And every single piece of other evidence that we see seems to really refute that narrative. He wanted anyone who may have, um, may have in his campaign to be investigated. Comey told Trump three times that he was not being investigated for Russia collusion. That has been the Democratic nar Democrats' narrative, that he was colluding with Russia. Russia collusion caused Hillary to lose the election, and it allowed Trump to win. That narrative seems to be completely unfounded at this point. And so the Democrats will shift to focusing on obstruction of justice. Be looking for it, because you'll see it. Such is the method of operation for partisan Washington. 
they go from one thing that ends up not being true, they don't take it back, and then they try to conflate it with the next thing that comes in order to make everything look like it's horrible. And that's what's happening. But I need to stop now. Yet again, it's been another crazy week. And that meant I couldn't do my own diagnostic, positive and negative, of the Trump presidency. Nor could I discuss the hearing with the directors of national intelligence, which really seemed to vindicate Trump again from obstruction charges too. Nor could I discuss the British election, which was ridiculous. That's a side note. Uh, The world is going crazy, and yet we can somehow be content knowing that this is not our home. So I hope you um, enjoyed listening today. If you did enjoy listening, feel free to subscribe if you haven't already. Um, And we'll be back next week. Blessings.